Hello, and welcome to the Patterpod with me, Alex Patterson. Each week, I invite a guest to talk to me about the seven tracks that they like or that mean something to them at this point in time. Uh, you'll probably recognize the format from other similar podcasts, but hopefully, we'll put a bit of a patter spin on the proceedings for you. This is the first time that I've done a podcast, so it's going to be a rather wonderful journey to see just how this is going to evolve over time. Alongside each episode, we have a smashing Patterpod playlist for you on Spotify, where you can listen to most of the tracks selected by my guest. I want to say that this has been kindly put together by my PA Verity, but sadly she doesn't exist. Uh, You can find the link to the playlist from my website, alexpatterson.co.uk. Hello, Charles Collins. Hello, Alex Patterson. How do we know each other? So I was a student at Nottingham University. I had done singing at my school, but my school was kind of just starting in its kind of choral tradition. I joined a few years after. So I did some singing at school, but I never really done the whole cathedral choir thing. Um, So I went to Nottingham University and I joined University Wind Orchestra, Blowsock, represent. Um, (laughs) What did you play? I played the trumpet. Oh, of course. How could I forget that? Because I never did it with the choir. (laughs) Did I not try and rope you in to do something? Well, you mentioned a couple of times doing something and then I kind of said, okay, that's fine. I will need the music in advance and I also won't be able to play it. (laughs) I kind of tried to rebuff you at every turn. So I think that's as much my fault as it was yours. Um, But as you say, yeah, I joined uh, St. Barnabas Cathedral Choir under Neil Page, and you were assistant director at that point. Um, And then, yeah, the rest is history. I was there for three and a half years. Couldn't get rid of me. So what are you doing now? It's May 2020, and we're in the middle of COVID-19 in lockdown. Where are you? How do you spend your life? Um, I'm living in London uh, as a trainee accountant at the moment, working towards my qualification um, at an accountancy firm and specialising in audit, uh, which is a different kind of challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, I've always had a kind of penchant for rules and being in a position where I'm allowed to enforce those on others. Oh, no, no, I love (laughs) I can't not follow a rule. So, yeah, so the ability to be able to kind of enforce that on others and ask why they haven't followed them is just a dream, really. How are you finding lockdown and this whole weird sort of situation that we all find ourselves in? It is weird, isn't it? I mean, I'm kind of in a bit of an odd situation because, well, I was. So I had uh, one housemate going into lockdown and then she fled home because we our tenancy was coming up and she didn't really have any other reason to be in London. So she, she went and moved back to Gloucester, where we're both from. But it's worked out really well. I'm living with two people now, um, getting on really well. And it's nice to have other people because I was living by myself for a month. And that was a time for some great introspective reflection, <laughs> a lot of Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've lived alone for like eight years now and mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I think it's great. But I spend quite a lot of my life around other people and in front of other people like conducting choirs and stuff. And I love that. But I need I need that time where I'm like on my own, having this prolonged time where you're Mm. sitting on your own I mean when it first happened I was like this is great this is wonderful I've got a bit of a break because actually the past 
six years of my life have been really intense and I feel as if I've just been going from one thing to the next and never really had a break and then I was like oh I've got this break okay and then after a while when suddenly you've got to try and do rehearsals over over zoom and stuff and you think well this isn't really the same thing and how has that been going it's different when you're in front of people because you get all your energy from the choir in front so there are times there have been many many times in my life where I've gone like half an hour before rehearsal starts and I think I can't really be bothered I just don't have the energy or I'm really tired but then you get into it and then after five minutes you're so fired up and energized because there are people in front of you who want to sing or who don't want to sing but actually together you sort of um, help each other get through that and feed off each other's energy then you've become really energized and the problem with youtube live especially is that you've you can't see anyone you can see that they're sort of chatting in the thing down the side but you can't see them at all so you're consciously more energized which means by the end of it you are completely shattered and it's so tiring compared to i mean this is i realize that people are actually doing or going through a lot right now um this is true but you're still allowed to find things difficult in your life yeah and you've i think everyone's sort of needs to be kinder to themselves and realize that we're going through a global pandemic and it's really odd and strange and some days are going to be better than others it is interesting what you say about the kind of catharsis i guess of being in a choir yeah. is that it's there's there have been times where i've kind of gotten oh i can't be asked to go to choir And then when you get there, you're seeing a piece that you really engage with. Or even if you don't engage with it, you're engaging with others around you. And yeah, it is that kind of sense of community. You kind of get this shared energy. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And you feed off, you feed off everyone else. But just in terms of the social side of things and people engaging with other people on a regular basis at the same time each week. For example, with the Cathedral Choir, we do a Zoom meeting every friday at 7 30 which is when we'd have our rehearsal and then we're not doing any singing (laughs) um (laughs) because that's a waste of time it just doesn't work but we're still having that social contact we're still catching up and still having those sort of like what what have you been up to this week to things um how's your week been that kind of thing how's your week been which is (laughs) such an important question so important so important Tell me a bit about your musical sort of taste. What what do you like? What gets you going? It's it's difficult because I'm not sure I really have a particular taste or style or thing that I'm particularly drawn to in particular. There's um I don't know, I just think kind of a good piece is a good piece, really. <laughs> no, you're right. And I think a lot of society. Oh gosh, here we go. I've had oh, <laughs> I've had a glass of prosecco now, so. Um... Oh, I just opened my second beer, so. Oh, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> um, so when when I've mentioned to people about this podcast, they've gone, "Oh, so is it just classical music?" And I'm like, "No, it's music." I mean, I know in my own musical taste, I do listen to a lot of classical music. I listen to a lot of film music, but I listen to a lot of cheesy pop and random stuff in between, and. Like you could quite easily have an episode where it's like, yeah, this is my classical music that I really like, but that's only a part of you. Well, no, for sure. And I think the thing that I found, especially choosing these pieces, it was really difficult for me because I kind of get this, I, I kind of have 20 or so tracks that I will listen to basically exclusively for about a month. And then I'll kind of get bored of them and go, oh, I don't want to like, I'm now going to look into something else. 
And I obviously have the ones that stick around and the ones that are always kind of circulating, but I'll be really into something and then suggest it to someone and be like, oh, this band's really good or this uh, composer's really good. It happens much less. Um, but <laughs> I will then say, and then they, you know, about two months later, they'll turn around to me and say, oh, I listened to that band. Yeah, I quite like that song. And I was like, I don't actually know what you're talking about because I would be really into them for that moment and then... And then just move, move on. And, and then move on. And it's not that I kind of, I don't like it anymore. It's just, I kind of start to listen to something else. Um, so yeah, it was, these, these pieces were a bit tricky because I was like, well, these are, I just kind of had to, at the end, the end, I was just saying, well, these are the pieces I like at the moment. And a lot of them, they kind of like have a bit of backstory as well. So that's okay. Oh, well, that, that might help. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want this podcast to be like, so what are your all time seven tracks? I wanted to be more like in the moment, what are the tracks that you would say at the moment are your like favorite ones? And because yeah. I did, I selected my own seven. Then I shared it with someone. And they were like, oh, well, you've got, you don't have any Benjamin Britten on this. And oh gosh, yeah, you're right. But if you take a snapshot of me right now, um, this is what it would be. And yes, there is quite a lot of Star Wars in it because, you know, it's, I'm really into Star Wars at the moment. <laughs> Lockdown and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, having binge watched um, all of the Clone Wars uh, <laughs> over the past sort of three weeks. Yeah. And it, it, it is peculiar. It's just how, like, you sort of obsess over things yeah. really, like, intensely for a period of time. And then suddenly it's like, nope, <laughs> need something else. Um, and then move on. Uh, and then yeah. somehow some things stick and some things don't. Well, that's what I found. And I think it's, I tried to choose pieces that I kind of will have have had some kind of not significance because I think that's giving them too much weight, but pieces where I listen to them and I think back to a certain time, I think is was how I ended up doing it. Yeah, I find this actually a lot with uh with pop songs, um, or like mm, mm. songs in the less classical sense, I guess. They take me back to a certain time and I associate well, I guess it's actually true with with all music. I associate quite a lot of music with particular times, whether it's like a clubbing at university. And I'll be like, yeah, mm-hmm. when that song came on, I can remember being around certain people who I would go clubbing with all the time. Or yeah. whether it's like this piece really sticks to my mind because we did it in a concert. And actually that was very special for some particular reason. I was singing next to this person Um and all of those sort of connotations. Well, that's, I think that's what make th- makes things really visceral. And I think actually, when you mentioned clubbing, there are certain songs that just completely take me back to um, Ocean, pretty much, for instance. Yeah. And because it's those, those experiences are so visceral. And also because, I don't know, because in a club you can't speak to people. So you can basically, the only way you can kind of communicate is through whatever song is playing or by mm. dancing. Completely. And I think that just it kind of puts this a lot more emphasis on the music and that's why it's so visceral because you kind of you associate then all these different senses with it because you damn well know what you were smelling and you also remember (laughs) you remember the song you remember who you're with because it's probably the same four people all the time and you also remember other things as well probably what it felt like probably the you know the excessive heat that's probably what i was yeah (laughs) the sticky floor (laughs) that's really interesting actually because i i remember there was a coach load of us at uni went up to manchester for an out out clubbing as you do and and i remember at one point like just losing everyone and being like okay i'm in manchester 
there are people from uni here and I don't know where they are and I'm just in this random club on my own. This is terrifying. I remember um, I can hear the bells coming on in the club and then I saw uh, a friend of mine, Joe, from the other end of the club. Um, I just remember feeling so happy that (laughs) I found someone that I knew. Um, And this song was playing and I knew all the words. I was like, this is great. And we were just having such a great time. Lots of good memories of that. Okay, so we're going to go to the seven tracks now. Can you tell us a bit about your first track? Yeah, of course. So the first track that I wrote down in no particular order (laughs) was a piece by an artist called Diane Cluck called Easy To Be Around. It's kind of, I've always thought I'd describe it as folky, guitar, acoustic, that kind of thing. But apparently she covers many genres within folk, um, which is not something I know particularly a lot about. I chose this piece because... I did a choral scholarship in rural Wales yeah. at St. David's Cathedral. And it really was really rural. And it, you're kind of in this position where you're socialising and working with the same people, which is great because you get to know these people really quickly. But because it's it's weird because it's such a small pool of people, there are times when you can feel, I don't know, I think feel a little bit, you can pine for your life back home because not everything's on your doorstep. It's a beautiful part of the country. and there's everything at your fingertips in terms of kind of relaxation and kind of meditative things, but that still can't, you know, can't stop you from missing your family or your friends because um, it's quite out of the way and it's difficult for people to visit. And you're kind of working, you're singing six days a week and it makes it difficult to kind of go home and see people. So you get half terms and stuff, but so, yeah, so there are times when I was kind of feeling a bit distant and there was something about this song that kind of really spoke to me. She kind of multi-tracks her voice, which gives it a kind of ethereal feel. So it kind of fit in the whole Pembrokeshire kind of mysticism of the place. It's very this very kind of back to nature kind of place. Um, yeah, so it kind of really spoke to me in that way. Just kind of, I remember listening to it basically on repeat for about a month. Yeah, it's completely new to me. I didn't, I've never heard the song before mm. at all, or the artist the way she overdubs her voice because there's some really interesting harmonies going on there where you're like does that work yeah but it does work it's probably it's not conventional but it just sort of fits there was something in my head and i think maybe that was it's because of the setting that i was in more than actually like the artist's intention did seem kind of meditative in a way but there was also it's just kind of it kind of had this kind of i don't know melancholic joy to it as well because the whole the whole message the point of the song or the main lyric is easy to be around this comfort with another person or maybe not even a person it's just there's i like i feel there's basically a sense of relaxation and kind of contentment i did my first recital when i was in saint david's and one of the pieces I did that I was also, I, is not on my list, but that I thought of was uh, Devondera, which is a piece of leader. And the way I kind of related it to myself was that the Devondera, he kind of has this, it's this character who is, is kind of in this tumultuous scene. And then he kind of re- thinks back to his homeland and like, he's kind of saying, where is my home? Mm. And this feeling of displacement, but then thinking back home and thinking, oh no, everyone's still there. Everything's still fine. I still have that kind of place of anchor. Like I still have that anchor that's drawing me home and 
actually I'm playing, I can do whatever I want or I can go and explore but there'll still be that piece of home that I can go back to and that's the kind of, that's the kind of feeling that I got with this piece by Diane Clapp as well. Talk to us about your next track. Um, well, the next one on my list is Sleep by Ivor Gurney. To start with, the piece is achingly beautiful, in my opinion. Mm. I think this is the first kind of piece where I'd really considered um, text properly. Oh, okay. So the first time I heard this piece, actually, was we were doing a vocal workshop with Ruth Massey. And one of the choral scholars performed this piece and Ruth Massey really kind of got into the text and said, like, what does this mean? And I think she was really infused by the piece as well. I think I kind of, that was infectious. Mm. And yeah, so when I was looking into this, uh, getting a list of music for this podcast, I looked at the lyrics again and they're they're just so beautiful. Um, And the kind of the way that the music reflects that is just incredible, really, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I completely agree. For me, it's because it was written, here are some facts for you. It was written in uh, 1912, so mm. before World War One, and uh, Ivor Gurney fought in World War One, but he was, uh, he suffered from manic depression and that was known before World War One. Um, and then when he went into World War One, he was writing a lot more poetry. Um, and I think he had an injury um, at one point and then came back home and then he suffered suffered a nervous breakdown in 1918 and like contemplated suicide and all of that sort of stuff then later on his family declared him insane in 1922 and then when you think about that sort of context of this guy who's got a mental illness and the whole sort of concept of sleep and this particular piece near the end like the sort of climax of it when he was talking about joy and that line like oh let my joys have some abiding yeah when you don't know that information it's it's still wonderful but then when you think this guy has a mental illness and is going through such a lot and just the way that he set this it just somehow just becomes slightly more profound and i think the the repetition of that line is so important yeah. It has this kind of big climax of, oh, let my joy have some abiding. And then this almost kind of, I, I think the kind of missing word there is, please let my joy have some abiding. Like it's, yeah. this repetition is just kind of, I just, yeah, it is incredible. And I think it's kind of not to the extent that Ivor Gurney was feeling, but I think it's something that we can, I think everyone's kind of experienced in a way. It's something that everyone can relate to is just feeling down or not being able to sleep even. And then just being like, I just want to kind of, get some rest i just need some kind of break from this well that's it and i think i mean it's been on the news quite a lot recently about how everyone is having weird dreams or more vivid dreams and 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 i know a lot of people are actually finding it are having a lot of anxiety about the whole process of going to bed to go to sleep because they're like well i know i'm not going to have a good night's sleep 
And there's a lot, I think, in this poem, and particularly the way that he said it, and the way, and as you said, it's almost as if everyone's sort of crying out and like at that yeah. joyous bit, and no one's really listening because no one really knows the answer. Interesting that you chose Gurney as he was also a Gloucester man. He was, he was. Big up. <laughs> Have you seen the Tom Denny stained glass windows in Gloucester Cathedral? I would have seen them, but I wouldn't have known the, the significance. Okay. So Tom Denny did some stained glass, I think, in 2014 to commemorate World War One and Ivor Gurney. And if you go to the Lady Chapel at Gloucester Cathedral, really hidden away, um, there are these astonishingly beautiful pieces of stained glass which are inspired by pieces that he wrote and poetry that he wrote and you can see there are different panes of glass which are definitely about Gloucester but then there's also others more about France and World War One and he sort of juxtaposed both of them and when you look at them and there's certain scenes particularly the ones in Gloucester where it's like maybe two people walking in nature and sort of discover having that sort of sense of joy with that There's a lot of resonance there, I think, given what we're going through right now. So, from sleep to dreams. So, this reminds me of a club in Nottingham called Oceana. In Oceana Cheese Room, there's a very respectable uh, DJ there who dresses in a cheese costume in the cheese room. I wanted to have a track on here that reminded me of a classic university night out experience. And I think it was, when I was growing up, I had very much like the albums that I listened to. And... I can really only think of about three or four albums I listened to when I was a teenager and I listened to them a lot. Mm. And it was, it's just utterly bizarre because then I got to university and everyone was saying, Oh, I like this band and this band, and this band I knew a lot about music. And I'd always kind of introduce myself as someone who's like, Oh yeah, I'm really into music. Like I play this, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, but then they were sort of talking about all this, music that I'd just never heard of. So Fleetwood Mac had kind of passed me by. I mean, it's slightly before my time anyway. Obviously, their genius uh, knows no generational bounds. Um, so I think this is what this is one song I remember coming on in Oceana and really triggering me to think, oh, I should probably listen to more music. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's quite overwhelming when you go to university and you experience all these people who are like talking about all these different things. You're like, oh, I have, I've never heard of that person before. And you suddenly feel incredibly stupid and Sheltered, out of your yeah. depth. Uh, well, yeah, as someone who grew up in the countryside in the middle of the mountains in Northern Ireland on a farm, incredibly sheltered. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac, a lot of their songs I didn't realise that I knew already. Yeah, yeah. When you sent me the track, I was like, I don't, know this song uh then i listened to it and then i realized i did know the song but i knew it from the version 
<laughs> the version that the cores did because they did a cover <laughs> of it which oh. uh very importantly they included a tin whistle instrumental which <laughs> is really excellent how else would um, you know it was the course <laughs> <laughs> exactly um yeah uh the only other fact that i know about that or allegedly is that um Apparently, it was written at a time when everyone in the band was going through some form of breakup. Oh, yeah, rumours. That entire album was... So when you hear the line, you say you want your freedom, well, who am I to keep you down? Oh, well, of course. (laughs) That really reminds me, actually, of ABBA, and that they were... like All this music coming out of conflict, which is not definitely not a prerequisite, which I think is some kind of another conversation we could have about this danger of people thinking that artists would be completely tortured souls and have all this conflict and awfulness to be able to produce good music because that's a dangerous narrative. also loved about this the song that you chose dreams by Fleetwood mac is that it's actually older than star wars um because oh, wow. it, <laughs> i'm trying to put things into perspective so um <laughs> <laughs> it was released in 1977 but was actually written in 76 and star wars was released in the in may 77 uh, which is interesting because it does segue nicely into your next track yes <laughs> apparently <laughs> tell us about your next track so following on from dreams Stephen mac obviously then comes theme from new york new york Frank sinatra yes and alex will now tell you why okay so the theme from new york new york implies that there was a film called new york new york and there was it was a yes. martin scorsese film which was released in 1977 Oh, uh-huh. so many layers. Yeah, so the theme from New York, New York, you've chosen the Frank Sinatra version, but it was actually written for Liza Minnelli. I did not know that. Yeah, I did also not know that. <laughs> but it's amazing what Wikipedia can tell you. There's a reason I chose the Frank Sinatra version, and that's because it's the version, well, A, the version I know and didn't realise there was an alternative, and B, because that was the first piece I ever sang as a solo performance. Really? Yeah, so, um, I mean, it was to a karaoke track, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, so, no, so the thing from New York, New York, uh, Frank Sinatra, I sang it. So my I had a friend who did fundraisers at school um, for the Handicapped Children's Pilgrimage Trust, which is a Catholic-based charity. So it was uh, it operated on our school, and basically they the goal is, and the kind of the purpose of it, is to take children with additional needs to Lourdes in France. Yeah. Which is a Catholic place of pilgrimage. And basically people from the uh, students at the school uh, in sixth form, so 17, 18 year olds, go with groups as uh, volunteer carers. But our our goal was essentially to um, make sure that the kids have a good time and just basically give them a holiday. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people get the impression that the whole point is they're taking children with these additional needs to 
because um, basically the whole story behind it is that people have been healed by the waters from their um, afflictions and some people have that idea that that's what the pilgrimage is for and it's totally not if there's like the miracle is that you see these children have, being able to be carefree and have this time where they can just be children mm. and not be fettered by whatever's got whatever additional needs they have so basically i had a friend who did these fundraisers for them and they did they, they put on open mic nights essentially and so this one year i decided that i was i think i was about 17 i was going to do the theme from new york new york by frank sinatra because it's really hard to find popular music that fits a baritone range. <laughs> um, but yeah, it went down a tree and it was, yeah, the first time I kind of stood up in front of people and sung by myself. It will always hold a special place in my heart because of that. These little town blues are melting away. I'll make a brand new start of it in a If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. Tell us about your fifth track, Charlie. Fifth track. Okay, so we have Hounds of Love and Hounds of Love. That's not what I sound like. Uh, the first version that I was familiar with was actually the Future Heads cover. And I wasn't aware that it was a Kate Bush original for a long time. Because mm, Kate yeah. Bush, I had, for some reason, Wuthering Heights for me, and I think it was just because, I don't know, some anachronism in my upbringing was that Wuthering Heights was always a Christmas song for me. And there's no real reason for that, apart from I think it was probably just on some mixtape that we put on at Christmas. And that's that was the image of Kate Bush I had for pretty much until the last two weeks. <laughs> so my friend, because my friend I was talking about Hans of Love, came on in a club or something, and mm. afterwards my friend was saying, "Oh, the Kate Bush version is better," and I was like, "I I don't think that's the same song actually." So uh, that's quite <laughs> embarrassing for you. But lo and behold, it was. And then I listened to it, and I was kind of like, "Oh, it's Kate Bush being eccentric again. I'm not really into this. I prefer the Future Heads version." Um, there is a reason for that, and that is because the first festival I went to was 2000 Trees in Gloucestershire, and the Future Heads were one of the headliners one year that I went, and they did a really, really good performance. It was really good, um, and they played the song, and it was one of the <laughs> one songs I knew by then, so I lost my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really good, and it was just a really good time. It was a festival. I was with friends. We had a lot of fun, listened to some good music. And then afterwards I went back home and started listening to um, an album called Acapella, which the Future Heads did. And it was just all acapella stuff. Looking back now, I'm not sure of the quality, but I was really into it for quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, they had they had some really good kind of uh, folky stuff. And the more I'm talking about things on this podcast, I'm realising that I'm quite into folk music, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is not really something I've realised before. So yeah, I listened to the Futureheads version and would adamantly tell my friend that the Futureheads version was better and he would adamantly say, no, Kate Bush is better. And then in the last couple of weeks, I've really, really gotten into Kate Bush. <laughs> 
Okay. Mm. Oh, good. I just put on her um like the Spotify most played and that one of them uh running up that hill almost made this list because it's such a good song. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about overcoming obstacles and roads and hills <laughs> and buildings. Um, so yeah, so I chose uh, Hounds of Love. I thought it was a happy medium. Okay, lovely. And you're definitely sticking with the Future Heads version. I I don't know if I can only, like I I haven't admitted this to my friend, but I think I might have to say that the Kate Bush version is better. I mean, it is the original. <gasps> Ooh. I know, dishing all the dirt on here. <laughs> <laughs> Patterpod exclusive. <laughs> but that's what this Patterpod is about. Revelations that people didn't know about and oh I've got so many. But also like I since then I've looked into Kate Bush and she was quite interesting. Honestly, I know the name, but I don't really know anything about her. You would love her. <laughs> She's in the trees. It's coming. Uh, Dusty Springfield, I Only Want to Be With You, is my next track. And the reason for this is, one, it's just a great tune. I mean, she says that line multiple times in the song, and just that's what you need. You need a good hook to get into someone's head. Um, but the reason it's on my list is because um, I grew up in, like, so one half of my family is Irish Catholic, and we used to go to Ireland every southwest coast. We used to go to every year, uh, every summer. Um, still do when we can, to this really rural part of Ireland. And we'd have the beach and we'd have the bungalow where we stayed and we'd make our own fun. And I'm one of four children. I have three older sisters. And it was great. We just kind of, there was very little kind of in the way of technology. Like there was TV, but it was very much kind of three channels that we could get on the portable aerial. Um, and mm-hmm. one of those would be in Gaelic. So that was a... Uh... <laughs> Um, Tiji Kaha uh, <laughs> and uh, so we would not really spend much of the time watching TV we would learn how to make a fire in a fireplace that our gran would teach us how to do um, nice. which is a really useful skill actually and we would go down to the beach and when it was raining we'd spend our time making up games in the bungalow and there's also this old record player and it had a selection of song, like a selection of records that we would uh, listen to basically on repeat throughout the whole time and one of them was I Only Want to Be With You by Lucy Springfield. And so this kind of formed, it was very much kind of anchored in my brain as part of my childhood and very much, I mean, we're in this really rural part of Ireland that was very specific to kind of our growing up and obviously like hundreds of others, but like in terms of my experience, it was very linked to that. And it was also on a record player, which kind of in my eyes, I was like, that's like defunct technology, obviously come back now. Um, so it was kind of like no one else would be able to hear this song and then I got to like year seven and year eight and a really close friend of mine one that I was actually living with um at the beginning of lockdown she sang it 
for a competition at school uh, that we did, which was um, Stars in Their Eyes, which went on for long after it came off the air. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was so I had this competition every year at school. Um, and it was great. But she sang it. And I was kind of, I felt a little bit violated <laughs> because I was like, how do you know this song? <laughs> it was because it, it was so personal to me. Um, yeah. And I think that was kind of the, one of the first times that I realized that everyone has like an experience of the world. And it's not just like, there aren't things that are just specific to me, which is, you know, year seven, year eight, which is a little bit embarrassing, really. <laughs> I was a little bit old for that kind of realization. <laughs> No, I'm still having those realizations. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, it's funny that you say Stars in the Rise because that was my, the TV show was my first experience of Dusty Springfield. <gasps> um, I remember um, someone going on to do something for a preacher man. And, and I was like, this song is amazing. This is great. One of my favorite things about her was that she had terrible eyesight. And also stage fright, apparently. I think I saw this on the documentary. Really? It could be completely oh, false. Um, so basically, she had these glasses that she would never wear. I think maybe partly for... I don't think she like, liked wearing glasses. I don't think she liked her look when she was wearing glasses. But also, because she would get up on stage and not have her glasses on, and she would not be able to see a single audience member. <laughs> so it kind oh, of got rid wow. of her stage fright because there was no one there in her eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's and amazing. Just, you know... And I think it's just a great way to make something that could be seen as a disadvantage work for you. Now time for your final track. So my final track is Maybe This Time from the musical Cabaret by Kander and Ebb. Honestly, the impetus behind this being on the list is uh, Shit's Creek. <laughs> yes! Oh. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, so for those who don't know, there's this uh, moment in Shit's Creek where the town are putting on a production of cabaret spoiler alert and <laughs> there's this point where one of the characters who's been kind of passed over in the series um is playing the cabaret artist whose name escapes me at the moment um sally i think yeah so this character who's taken um a back seat in a lot of kind of like the main storylines sings this song maybe this time and it's kind of Pre- prior to this is given this big uplifting pep talk by one of the main characters Moira Rose who is by far one of my favorite characters in anything ever <laughs> played by the wonderful Catherine O'Hara but anyway she sings a song maybe this time and it's actually I've never seen I've never seen Cabaret and I definitely need to just because of my love for this song and it's just so uplifting actually um I have I made at my job, there are very, very busy periods where I'm working very long hours and it kind of takes some kind of muddling through and, you know, just some energy to get through it. And I, I made a playlist that was basically just uplifting musical numbers called Empower. 
Oh, well, I think you need to share a link for that. Gosh. I definitely will. I mean, it's not very long, but it's just, and it ends, it actually ends with um the barbershop quartet from Scrubs singing Charles in Charge. <laughs> well, that takes me back to a very long time ago. But it's basically, just basically all these uplifting songs that are as camp as you could get. But just, they absolutely do the job. Because in every, in every musical, there's at least one song, which is this kind of resolution of, I'm going to go for what makes me happy. I'm going to do the thing that, you know, I've been striving to do all my life, essentially. And it's basically just a collection of those songs. And it towards the end is maybe this time. And just this kind of belief in yourself and hope for the future, which I think is really important, especially now. Definitely. I just love how it builds... It's so it's so slinky and it's so good at it's so get good at kind of replicating that kind of seedy cabaret feel, but at the same time being this such such an uplifting and aspirational song. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just, it's very it's very pure in its kind of seediness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we all aspire to be. Exactly, yeah. Obviously, the link back to New York, New York. This song of was course, written yeah. for Liza Minnelli. Well, it wasn't written for Liza Minnelli. It was actually written before Cabaret yeah. um, for another artist and then was later inserted into the film. And then Liza made it really famous. I think that's a lovely place to end, Charles. I agree. Thank you very much. Thank you. I had a wonderful time. Thank you, dear listener, and congratulations for making it to the end of the Patterpod. Uh, please do rate and review as positively as you possibly can and hit subscribe so that the next episode just slips into whatever device you're listening on. A uh, huge thank you to everyone who has helped make this silly idea come to fruition. Uh, you know who you are. But a big shout out to the lovely Amy Summers, who's done such a grand job with my cheesy tunes. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.